I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about Designing Woman, a 1957 film starring Lauren Bacall and Gregory Peck. It was directed by Vincent Minnelli and earned George Wells an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. New York sports reporter Mike Hagan heads to Beverly Hills to cover a golf tournament. Having correctly chosen the winning golfer in the reporter's betting pool, he starts buying drinks with the winnings. And in the morning, he can't remember anything. He's so hungover. <laughs> so he, he's afraid that he's forgotten his, his story and he's dealing with the effects of the hungover. And he sulks at the hotel pool where Marilla Brown approaches him. She remembers meeting him the night before. He does not. But eventually things get straightened out and an eight day romance leads to marriage. But then there's more misunderstandings when they make it back home to New York. The friction <laughs> increases as their differences in class, background, friends, and interests arise. But the key problem is that Mike tries to hide his old relationship with dancer Lori Shannon, who was cast in a show run by Marilla's friends. Meanwhile, Mike is writing columns about a crooked boxing promoter, which jeopardizes not only his love life, but also his like just plain old regular life mishaps and a bunch of dancing ensue <laughs> that was way more complicated of a plot than it just from that summary than what it actually felt like when I was watching the movie yeah <laughs> um don't you want all of your marriages to start with your partner being drunk and not remembering having met you at all and then being very rude to you yeah and assuming that you're a prostitute mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yes, it was complicated. I forgot. It felt like the California part flew by. Mm-hmm. Well, it was but, only eight days. Yeah. I guess the rest. Of, I guess the rest of it was like a month, right? Or yeah, I guess so. I, it, it seemed like longer to me yeah. when they were in New York. Had you seen this one before? No, and I didn't really know what to expect. And something about the like Gregory Peck Lauren McCall pairing was like it just I was having a hard time like imagining what this movie was going to be like and like kind of blew my mind frankly (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I didn't know what to think of the two of them together yeah it made me realize and we could say more on this but like I I really prefer my Gregory Peck in dramas (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he's gifted in the comedy room (laughs) you're like why is Atticus Finch like walking around drunk (laughs) pretty much and like falling down and mugging yeah (laughs) it just I I don't know but um anyway do you have trivia about this film yes I do have some trivia so the original concept for this film came from Helen Rose who was the designer of lots of the gowns and uh dresses that Lauren Bacall wore in this movie which is kind of cool and she's credited for both which is amazing During the filming of this movie, Lauren Bacall was dealing with her husband, Humphrey Bogart's terminal illness. According to her autobiography, she took the role, which was originally intended for Grace Kelly, to avoid having to deal with what was going on at home. It has also said that uh, Grace Kelly considered the part to have been written for her and like never forgave Lauren Bacall for for taking it from her. But um, Lauren Bacall said, apparently she got the prince and I got the part because Grace Kelly had to stop (laughs) acting when she became a princess. Yeah. And I also think this, I thought Lauren Bacall did a better job of playing the like intellectual sophisticate 
in yeah. some ways than I would have seen Grace Kelly doing that. Yes, it would have been like a like more like socialite role. Yes, totally. Both James Stewart and Cary Grant turned down the role that went to Gregory Peck. Um, apparently, Cary Grant didn't want to play such a heavy drinker, uh, which I think is funny because I feel like Cary Grant just drinks in all his roles. <laughs> also, it, that it's funny because when I was saying how I don't like Gregory Peck in comedy, I was thinking Jimmy Stewart would have done better at that part of it. <laughs> But I think Gregory Peck, not, not like, no, you know, Jimmy Stewart is my number one. But in terms of like conventional looks, I think Gregory Peck has the upper hand oh, yeah. <laughs> to make it seem like why would he attract Lauren Bacall when he was such a, you know, disorderly drunk? Yeah. Yes. Gregory Peck. Very fine looking man. At one point, the song How Little We Know plays in the background. And that's the song that Lauren McCall sang in To Have and Have Not, where she fell in love with Humphrey Bogart. Um, Nice little uh, Easter egg. Um, Jack Cole, who plays Randy Owens, the the choreographer for the play within the movie, was actually the choreographer for the movie itself. And when he demonstrates a dance move he calls Seahorses, he's actually reprising a move that he created when he choreographed the musical Kismet oh um, a few years earlier, uh, which was another uh, Minnelli film. That's funny because I thought that was so ridiculous when he was doing the Seahorses yeah. move. And then the fact that that's a real dance move that just, it's just fitting. Yeah, totally bananas. Um, and then the last piece of trivia I have is that, so Mike wins $1,200 on a sports bet, um, in 2022, that is approximately $11,000. Whoa. Yeah. That was pretty sad when he won all that money. And then the next day he didn't know what had happened to any of it. Yeah. I'm just like, dude. <laughs> and then he just gave it to this person he had just met to hold on to. Good thing they ended up getting married. I know. And then when she tried to give it back and he was like, no, keep it, that I was like, no, just take take the money. Yeah, totally. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) When you translate it so that it's like eleven thousand dollars, I'm like, okay, I guess you have more money than I think you do. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of this movie, there weren't too many significant problems with the Marilla character. It seemed like Mike caused all the problems. Yes. in a a lot of ways and if he had just even the way he insisted on continuing to write about the guy even though his life was being threatened and he didn't tell his wife about it even though it was like clear there could be some kind of threat against her yeah at like that all of that I was like what are you doing and like he's a sports writer it's not like he can actually do anything about this guy it's like law enforcement has to do it yeah, well, and the, like the whole issue with like Lori Shannon, as like Lori points out later in the movie, she's like, he's making a big deal about like a relationship that's over, and like he's like refusing to tell his wife about a relationship that is like stop existing the minute that he met Marilla, and so like like that's not a like that's that shouldn't actually be a, like an issue. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. people have like relationships you know, and relationships end and they move on to the next one. Like, why are you hiding an old one from? (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me of those sort of comedy of errors type shows where 
if the people just had a conversation, there would almost be no plot because right. it did the, it, the yeah. central conflicts were completely resolvable if they just talked to each other. Yeah, just have a conversation. <laughs> but um, speaking of Lori Shannon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was played by Dolores Gray, and that was who I bioed for this movie. Um, she was born Sylvia Dolores Finkelstein Ooh. in 1924. And both her parents were vaudeville actors, which is how they met. While attending Polytechnic High School in Los Angeles, she was in the Girls Glee Club and was a gifted singer. And she was discovered by Rudy Valley, who gave her a guest spot on his national radio show. She started out appearing as a cabaret singer in restaurants and supper clubs in San Francisco and Reno before transitioning into theater. And while she was appearing in Annie Get Your Gun in London, which ran from 1947 to 1950, she studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Um, She was briefly signed with MGM, but she only appeared in two movies. And really her career was primarily a stage career. Hmm. Among her many theater roles, she appeared in Two on the Isle in 1951, Carnival in Flanders in 1953, Destry Rides Again in 1959, Sherry in 1967, and 42nd Street in 1986. Uh, She also performed the lead role in, well, in Annie Get Your Gun in its first London production. So that's kind of a big deal. And she won the Tony Award for Best Lead Actress in a Musical for her role in Carnival in Flanders, even though that Broadway musical ran for only six performances. What? So she holds the record for briefest run at a performance that also earned a Tony, (laughs) which is, you know... Probably unlikely to be broken because but I, I just don't think that would happen now. Um, she's the first person to have sung the English version of the French songs Say Si Bon. Is, am I saying that right? Yeah. Hillary, my French speaker. Uh-huh. Um, for the short film Holiday in Paris. And she appeared in this movie in 1957. And during her music career, she sang Marilyn Monroe's part on the Decca Records soundtrack album of There's No Business Like Show Business. What? Yeah. She did. She has a beautiful voice. In 1973, she took over Angela Lansbury's role in the London production of Gypsy at the Piccadilly Theater. Oh, my God. And in 87, she starred in the London production of Sondheim's Follies at the Shaftesbury Theatre to great acclaim. And then she appeared in the Royal Variety performance of the same year with a show-stopping performance of the song I'm Still Here uh, from Follies. Yes, the theatre critic Michael Phillips wrote that Gray's voice sounded like a freight train slathered in honey, (laughs) which I think is a really great compliment. Yeah. Um, And for all the um, nerds out there, in 1988, she appeared in the Doctor Who 25th anniversary story, Silver Nemesis. What? Yes. So she was on tons of uh, theater soundtracks, but she also recorded one album of her own in 1957 titled Warm Brandy. Oh. Which is a great title. And she died of a heart attack in manhattan at age 78 it doesn't when we do these bios doesn't it seem like the people who stuck more to theater had better careers yes yeah yeah they're the ones who end up dying of a heart attack rather than like an overdose uh, yeah or at a very alcoholism yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 
Mm-hmm. I thought she was good in this role too. And it, it made me think that this was in, in some ways another backdoor musical because they, you know, yeah. they put a couple musical numbers of hers in this. Yeah. I was thinking that as I, as like, as I was watching the, um, like the opening credits when there was like notes about the choreographer and blah, blah, blah. I thought, Oh, as wait, is this, is this a musical? Did I know that this was a musical? Gregory Peck's in a musical? <laughs> but um, turns out it was, I mean, yes, they weren't like out of, totally out of place, the musical numbers. No, it, I mean, sometimes it seems like they just said, oh, we have this really talented singer, so we might as well put a song, like in a lot of the Doors Day movies yeah. too, they're like, we'll just put a song in. Right, because we can. It's just, it's weirder when it's like, uh, like an affair to remember where like, it's not even Deborah Carr singing. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Well, some of the Doris Day movies too, it's just totally random. Like she'll just have a ukulele for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) So have a ukulele for no reason. (laughs) What did you think of Designing Woman? I, I loved it. Oh, yay. From the minute that like, like it started and they broke the fourth wall and they were like explaining what was happening. I, I was like, wait, what is hap- this? What is that in this movie? Like, It was ridiculous. You know, just the way that the like plot unfolded. And, you know, like you said, like if they would just sit down and have an honest conversation with each other um, like this, none of this movie would have would have happened. But just like the ravioli scene. <laughs> like scene in the the like the with their two different get-togethers in her apartment. Yeah, that was really funny. It's just like I really enjoyed it. So had you had you seen this movie before? No, and uh, we were saying offline before we started recording that I've seen Woman of the Year multiple times, which this is supposed to be loosely based on, but this felt like a, a very different movie. It was much more comedic and just felt lighter to me. Like mm-hmm. Woman of the Year had like a bit of an edge where mm-hmm. you really felt like some resentment, like mm-hmm. more resentment about her success. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it didn't feel so much like that. It felt like it was sort of just like a culture clash and mm-hmm. also, you know, some some ingrained misogyny of the time period as well just like at one point he said um you know you like you make money from drawing those little pictures or something like that Um, yeah and I think he sort of had an expectation because they met out of their out of context while they were traveling that he would be the more impressive person yeah and when they got back there it was clear that she was like a very wealthy person who hung out with the new york art scene and all of these sophisticated people and that and he was much more of a working man yeah yeah like a salt of not quite salt of the earth but you know he got upset that his poker food was looked too nice because he's not like a fancy person (laughs) right he he didn't want a cheese and bologna loaf he wanted just cheese and bologna slices So, yes, I did like it. I mean, some parts of it were really ridiculous, but it it was also just such a stylish movie. And I don't know if it was because it yeah. was Vincent Minnelli or mm-hmm. because of the costume designs or what, but like the sets were beautiful. The clothes were beautiful. It was it felt very escapist watching mm-hmm. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really liked you know, the effects in the beginning when he they were like sort of showing 
what it was like from his point of view with the the hangover, you know, with the like uh, outrageous sounds and the like bright colors and all all of that. I would, I I feel like I've never seen a movie like that before, and I just thought that was it was a little over the top, but it was like perfect. Yeah, and Lauren Bacall was so glamorous in it too. Like I just wanted yeah. to hang out with her. Yeah. Like yeah. every outfit was amazing. She spoke really well and she seemed very adaptable too and like unfazed by things, mm-hmm. which I liked. Yeah. Well, and um, her, her place was just so incredible. Oh my gosh. It just kept going. Can you imagine a New York apartment like that? No, it cost like a gazillion dollars. <laughs> And then he tried to say that she must have come for money. Yeah. Because that I guess that's like the only way she could. He thought that she could make it like that. So it there definitely was male pride in there that he wanted to be the one who made more money and like had had it together. And like she didn't really need him in any kind of in um, any way. Yeah, really in any way. <laughs> Which, it seems so, I mean, it must have been a really whirlwind romance if they just, they met, and then it was eight days, and they were like, let's get married, and we're going to change our whole lives around. Yeah, I mean, you just, like, don't know a person after eight days. I mean, you, like, on some level you do, but you, like, don't really know them. Like, you just don't have enough time to, like, have all the, like, basic conversations in eight days. No, or, like, have a fight, or, like, because people could still be on their best behavior in that short of a time period. Yeah. I also thought it was just a poor decision decision to get married without seeing each other in their everyday lives, because part of, part of getting married is you have to kind of meld your lives together, and they didn't know what they were melding. I mean, they really had no idea the way the other person lived. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, it is like sort of, it doesn't really make any sense that they like, they're two New Yorkers who meet in Beverly Hills and they're like, oh, let's get married. Like, no, no just go back to New York and like, yeah, just date for a while. Get to know each other. <laughs> Do you think if they had gone back to New York and dated that they still would have gotten married? I mean, I don't think they would have had the problem that they had with like Lori Shannon because he would have just like broken up with her and then. Yeah been like I'm gonna go date this other woman and it wouldn't have been such a like drastic shift because it seemed like he was like casually seeing you know Lori Shannon and then like then he comes back and he's married to somebody else after a week yeah she didn't even I mean except for dumping the ravioli she didn't even really get mad at him about it the dumping of the ravioli like I'm sorry that was brilliant (laughs) it was brilliant also one of i thought one of the funniest parts of the movie was when he was wearing those two short green pants and then there was a surprise party with all and like she's a fashion designer so the clothes matter even more yes and he kept being like these aren't my pants they're not my pants (laughs) yeah that was really great it i also thought that that story sort of reinforces this old dating ideal that I think a lot of people still believe that men will date sexy, like va va voom women, but they don't settle down with those women. And then as soon as they meet the like perfect girl next door type, then it's like immediate. And then they just marry them. 
Yeah. And that's, and I think a lot of people still like, this is the girl you date. This isn't the girl you marry, blah, blah, blah. I kind of totally. felt bad for Lori Shannon. Like she seemed great. <laughs> yeah, she did seem great, but she also seemed like, she, like I felt bad for her on one level, but I didn't feel bad for her on another level because she clearly like understood what was happening. She, you know, she like, she eventually like has this like heart to heart with Marilla and at the very end and is like, just like, yeah, I was in a relationship with him and now I'm not. And I wasn't in a relationship when he married you. And so like, he didn't actually have anything to hide. Even when like, he's telling her the story about the like Packers, like the, like the explanation of like that he, like that he's oh, come yeah. up with about like how they know each other. She's like, that is a dumb story. <laughs> <laughs> she's never gonna believe that <laughs> yeah and the, i forgot to throw out the picture that was, was like why don't you just tell her the truth that it was so dumb and the way they spun it to be like well he just didn't want to hurt you come on like she she could take it she's an adult and this was a previous relationship like it doesn't yeah. matter also didn't you think that dog her dog was like the worst dog in the world Lori shannon's dog yeah because she like she would the, the dog would just like jump into people's arms didn't seem like a good trick that seems like a dangerous trick yeah it like bit everybody also i hated the way his haircut looked yeah <laughs> but i think i'm just not a poodle person when it comes down to it <laughs> Yeah, you're definitely a mutt person. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was really funny the way she acted when he invited her to the fight, too. Because that's exactly how I would feel at a boxing match. Like, she's like, what does one wear to a boxing Mm. match? Which I definitely would ask that question. And then when she's there, she's just horrified by it. And he's talking about, like, the blood spraying and stuff. Yeah, and then she like has like a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, that I thought that was really funny. I mean, it did show a lot of the day-to-day stuff of their worlds didn't really mesh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they couldn't have a good relationship. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people are like that, like they have different types of jobs or friends, and like at the end of the day, you still come home to each other and it's good. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the punch drunk character whose name I'm blanking on? Maxie. Maxie, yeah. What did you think about that character? He was funny. (laughs) I mean, if you actually think about it at all, it's sad. Yeah. But but I loved, I did think it was really funny how he slept with his eyes open. (laughs) I know. And then in the final fight scene, when um, Mike was saying like, Max, cross-eyed. And he just kept being like, cross-eyed, cross-eyed, and punching everybody. Everybody, that was really including funny. the good guys. Yeah, yeah he, he didn't really get what was going on, but... Yeah. Well, and what I appreciated was that, like, you know, they, like, all of Mike's friends, like, they knew Maxie, and they, like, let him come play a couple of games, win a couple of games to, like, pay rent, and then, like, they let him go home, but they didn't, like, they didn't let him leave too early. And they didn't let, they wanted him to be safe and taken care of. And, you know, I, I really, I liked that. And I thought, I thought it was like interesting that they were just like totally cool with him. And Marilla was like freaked out by him. <laughs> so, like, couldn't figure out what to do with him. Yeah. She seemed, I mean, she, she definitely hadn't been around a lot of like street toughs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she seemed very uncomfortable. I mean, the men she hung around with were like choreographers and like theater producers. So 
she wasn't used to that. But yeah, it was kind of a nice way of them looking out for him, mm-hmm. um, like in a communal way. And he also looked out for Mike. I mean, he stayed with him all that time and he clearly took the job seriously. Oh my God, the sleeping with his eyes open thing was bananas. It was. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I, how about how Mike thought he was dead? Yeah, I know. I know. What did you think of the final fight scene when Randy, the choreographer, came in and just started kick fighting everyone? I mean, I kind of was like, okay, sure, right. This like Randy with the like the dancer at the beginning being ridiculed for being like effeminate that's like the gun at the you know in the first scene of a play or whatever and it has to go off before the end of the play where it's like oh you made fun of this guy for being a dancer but he's saved your butt yeah he's actually the best the best fighter here (laughs) yeah like kicking everybody with his dancing legs (laughs) i like to i mean that's kind of how i like my fights like choreographed dance fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the level i could handle it at mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. blood spraying <laughs> yeah i thought that was a fun i mean because it was a comedy i was like well no one's actually going to be hurt so it's fine yeah that's true everyone just kind of kept getting flung into like stacks of crates and boxes <laughs> and stuff <laughs> were you surprised like in when they broke the fourth wall in the beginning yes didn't they make it seem like they had gotten divorced yes yeah and the whole time I was expecting that they had and then at the end I was actually surprised that they were still together yeah yeah I kind of liked that because at the beginning I was like no I don't want to watch a movie about a divorce and I was watching a romance (laughs) did you think that Marilla made the right decision in the end where she just decided to like purposefully ignore Mike's lie so they could just move on I think like I don't know I feel like like it's what so many women probably have to do because the men are just like idiots and she probably I mean in that moment she just I think was just happy that they both were alive mm-hmm. I'm just like projecting this and so she was like yeah yeah well like I'm gonna let just ignore this and like we'll get we'll have this conversation we never have to talk about this again and just like focus on the fact that we're both alive. But I did like, I, I did think about how like, here's Mike, like being a dumb about this still. And like Marilla and Lori have just had this conversation where they're basically like, yeah, yeah. I'm, like he's going to, he's going to be dumb about this. And we just have to realize that he's, he thinks he needs to have the story and tell, instead of just like telling the truth, which like the truth is boring. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in that moment, I really thought he was just going to tell her the truth. Mm -hmm. But he was so stubborn. I mean, it reminded me, like, you know how some people will say, like, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? Or do you want to be, like, happy or whatever? Which I don't really go for. But but in that case, it seemed like for that particular fight, she was just deciding that it didn't matter. Like, Mm -hmm. if it was something that mattered she probably would have pushed on it more but it didn't actually and then it sometimes is like that like you're fighting about something really stupid and then you think like why are we we could just be enjoying ourselves right yeah. now <laughs> like this, this. this doesn't matter and it's kind of seemed like that's what they decided to do but I mean he did a couple things throughout the movie that to me were red flags mm-hmm. in addition to this like Mm-hmm. the fact that he didn't tell her mm-hmm. like about the the real threat from mm-hmm. 
this mob guy. Yeah. And he told Lori Shannon the truth, mm-hmm. which to, to me showed like a certain level of respect. He thought she could handle it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and maybe she, maybe he would have told Marilla the truth if they hadn't just like had a fight. Yeah. Cause didn't he, didn't he like try to tell her, like he said, like, can you keep a secret? And she like said something flippant because they were, had, like as far as she knew they had just they hadn't resolved a fight yet and so he like decided to then not tell her because yeah you're right she said something in the moment and then because he was like all right moment passed (laughs) but and he also um went to Lori to like try to resolve it through her instead Mm -hmm. of talking to marilla which i also thought was dumb yeah so like if he was trying to say oh my relationship with this person is over some of those things he did showed a certain level of intimacy and trust that he wasn't (laughs) showing Mm -hmm. to his own Mm -hmm. wife so anyway (laughs) um what do you think their lives would have looked like after all of this i mean like do you think he would have started hanging out with like the intellectuals or would it still have been very separate that's funny that you would ask that because i just was thinking like oh i wonder if they like stay married i mean i think probably like after being married for a while probably maybe they like figure it out and figure out compromising because like that's just what you do once you like are in a relationship with someone for a long time or for just like longer than eight days um (laughs) so i guess i imagine that they like figured out a compromise or like theater night is like on Thursday and poker night is on Wednesday or whatever yeah it seemed like I mean in woman of the year this was kind of even more explicit but the the premise is like what happens when a man and a woman get married the woman already has an established prestigious life and Mm -hmm. he has to learn how to fit into her life rather than Mm -hmm. the other way way around, around which is kind of like what's expected because mm-hmm. even in this movie Mike immediately was like well you'll move into my apartment yeah. and, and that's not what ended up happening but I think that Marilla she I mean how old do you think she was in this I'm gonna google Lauren McCall to remember what year she was born so she was 33 33 okay yeah so she was kind of like she was established I don't know she seemed very much like she was her own person and knew who she was and like had her life set up um so it wasn't like she probably wasn't used to having to compromise because she had a lot of power and then this other person comes in and in this case they just kind of made light of the fact that like he was moving into this fancy apartment and like he didn't fit in with her friends Mm-hmm. Whereas in Woman of the Year, he was like actually very mad, yeah. <laughs> Spencer Tracy. So it was a little bit different, but it's still, you know, that was the question, the central question of the movie. And I don't know if they had totally answered it by the end. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of back to Lee. Do you think, should we start? <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. <laughs> should we talk about um, social justice? Yeah, don't skip the social justice and go directly to back go. <laughs> <laughs> Do not pass go. I mean, I think the stuff that we were just talking about uh, with Maxie feels very like social justice-y that like there, mm-hmm. here's this guy who like has been injured in a career in boxing and clearly needs help from his friends to like get 
through life in a variety of ways and you know and they just do it and they don't do it in a way that is like um like demeaning or like mm-hmm. patronizing they just like they're like yeah we let him he, he comes he plays a few games we let him win a couple of games and um and then he goes home and he's good <laughs> yeah i i liked that and i also thought the investigative journalism aspect Mm -hmm. with him taking on this mob guy Mm -hmm. also had a social justice tenor to it like he he was threatened and he refused to give up because he thought what the guy was doing was wrong Mm -hmm. yeah and put his own life at risk Mm -hmm. i thought he was almost a bit cavalier (laughs) about like just saying well i'm just gonna keep writing these columns even though they said people to beat me up and that's that's it but you know at the end of the day he was successful Mm -hmm. and you know sticking your neck out for justice yeah even if it's like even if the like context is just quote-unquote just um athletic sphere it's yeah still like knowing what's right and what's wrong and standing up for what's right yeah and I mean it's I think there's a lot of ways that sports journalists make their writing not just about sports, mm-hmm. you know, and that was a good example of that. Yeah, that's really true. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Do we have more to say about Bechtel? Well, does it pass? You know, <laughs> does it pass? Who does she, does she talk to in any kind of meaningful way? besides Laurie Shannon I mean she there's that scene where she's like working on stuff and the guys are there trying to get her to like do the show like commit to doing the show and she's like simultaneously talking to them and talking to the model and talking to the like assistants and other things and it's not really a like substantial conversation with those people but like it's a definitely a scene that's not about her relationship with Mike that's true. I think it would have been nice if there was a female character who was developed who was a friend. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the two people who kind of presented as her closest friends were both men. Men, yeah. Right, One of them was romantically interested in her. <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, she needed, Marilla needed a friend, like a woman friend. <laughs> she did. They, she, they could have talked about that stuff. So I don't yeah. know. I think, I think it's borderline. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think most of the work conversation was with men. But, yeah, I think you're right. And like, it, it, there are two developed female characters, but they mostly just talk about or around Mike. <laughs> yeah, because even like before she's confronted Laurie Shannon, she like, she's she's kind of figured it out and is mad about it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, like borderline. <laughs> mostly does not. What rating would you give this movie? like a 4.75 wow that's so high yeah i love this movie (laughs) i'm so happy (laughs) i just picked this randomly because i've I've heard of it and i saw like a clip from it on instagram and i was very intrigued (laughs) it was a it was when they were both on the plane flying back to new york and they were like giving them those pillows to put under the food trays. So weird. I know. Um, But then I was like, this looks great. (laughs) 
Based on the pillows under the food trays. Yes, mm-hmm. basically. And the clothes. The clothes, I mean, oh if God. we still had like a costume section, there would be so much. Like her red coat with the bow. Yes. Well, her and yellow the, swimsuit. Yeah. And all the items that she supposedly designed. The like, yeah. with the cool linings. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's how I felt. Like, so I would give it. Well, this is hard. I guess I would give it like a 3.75, which I know sounds a lot lower than yours, but I liked the movie the most for the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and I would definitely watch it again. Watching it felt like a fun romp in like 1950s New York society. Mm -hmm. And I just really enjoyed it. And it was nice seeing Lauren Bacall, like the last movie we saw was... Her first, right? Her first movie. Yeah. She was 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. And then seeing her at this age, so sophisticated, it was really nice to see kind of how she had grown into herself as an actress. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah it, was, it was just fun. I'm glad we watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It was, a, it, was, it was a very different movie from a lot of the other ones that we've seen, even if it felt familiar in like some good, like cozy ways, but yeah and I was prepared for like because of the time period for it to be super sexist and terrible (laughs) and it I mean it was in parts but Mm -hmm. it really wasn't that bad it was it was much better than I expected yeah there were some rough parts but it wasn't as bad as it could have been it could have been like the apartment or something which so, uh, so many people still say is like their favorite movie. And I'm like, it's like they're wrong. Attempted suicide. Like what is yeah. this? Anyway, don't add us if the apartment is your favorite movie. <laughs> so Hill, what is our next movie? So our next movie is a request from a patron on Patreon. So find us on Patreon. You too can request a movie. And it is The Grass is Greener. Back to Cary Grant. I was going to say, we can only leave Cary Grant for so long before he yes. has to Yes, we, it's been two movies in between our last Cary Grant, so we had to come back. <laughs> it's our limit. <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.